0: A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash parenting to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try armoire today.
1: What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify.
0: My goal is to help parents support their children in finding and reaching their own unique potential. The podcast is a place to learn about all things parenting and get your questions answered. I'm your village founder and your host, Erin Royer. This week, I'm going to talk about toddlers. I get a lot of questions about toddler behavior. Obviously, the difficult parts, the no's, the pushback, that push for independence. The questions are all usually very similar, but just different scenarios. That constant, I say toast, she says cereal. I say the sky is blue, he says it's red. I say over here, and she runs over there. For some parents, they feel like it's all day long, whenever their toddler is awake. And it all stems back to the same thing, that toddler behavior and push for independence. So I'll share several tips for dealing with this constant pushback. Then I'll share a story that happened in our family this week, not related to a tantrum or toddler behavior, but just a personal story that I think is good to share where and when I can struggle. Because parenting is really a mix between science and art, and that art is knowing your own children really well, knowing yourself really well. So I'll share some honest feelings and reactions that I had as a parent about something that happened with our oldest son, what I was thinking about both during and after the exchange, and what I learned both about myself and him, because none of us are perfect. But the point is to recognize where we could do better, why we act in a certain way, and what we're going to do differently next time if we feel something like that needs to be addressed. So I'll share one of my own experiences that I needed to revisit a little bit after the fact, because being a great parent isn't just about having skills. It's a big piece of the puzzle and it is very important. But in order to hit that next level, we have to be willing to face ourselves, our own shortcomings and challenges, and work on them. And actually, I should create a class just about that sometimes, facing our own challenges and shortcomings as people when it comes to parenting. But now, let's get started with the big topic for today, toddlers. Toddlerhood starts at one year and goes through age three to four, depending on who you ask. The really strong push for independence should dissipate by around three and a half, but may go a little further towards four. Tantrums can still continue through the fourth year for some kids though. With some infants, you may start to see some push for independence, some defiance as early as nine months. For others, it may not start until around 18 months. Kids all range in their different areas of development. And I've talked about this in other episodes before about this range of normal in development. Some kids will talk earlier, some will walk earlier, some will start to push for independence very early, And some a little bit later. Now in the tantrums class I talk about a true tantrum versus a manipulative tantrum. True tantrums are the ones where they're just beside themselves. Their emotions are completely out of control. They are simply unable in that moment to calm themselves down. These are the ones that are common in the earlier years starting around 12 to 18 months and should be greatly reduced or few and far between by three to three and a half especially with some coaching and guidance. But some kids, even with the best coaching, can still have them occasionally through that fourth year. Now, that was my son Chandler. It took a lot for him to get upset as he's super quiet and easygoing. But when he did get upset, he went from zero to 60 in like 1.2 seconds. So it took a lot of coaching with him to help him put space between the stimulus that was getting him upset and his response to it. Now while pure tantrums are the ones we usually see in younger kids and manipulative ones in older kids around ages 4 to 9 or even 10, you can see them younger. My daughter used to try to throw these at around 14 months. At first I thought it couldn't be manipulative because she was so young, but I quickly realized that she in fact was trying to manipulate me into getting what she wanted, even that early. She would throw herself back on the kitchen floor and then hit her head. So she'd be upset about hitting her head. As soon as I realized what was happening, I had to just start ignoring her. Sure enough, it's the last time she did that. After that, she would plunk herself down sitting, like plunk onto the floor sitting mad. Then she would lay her back down on the floor, but hold her head up. And then she would lay her head down. So it's like in three steps, sit back, head. Then she would start throwing her tantrum. Definitely knew it was manipulative at that point, and I still remember it like it was yesterday, and as I had suspected, she has this highly persistent temperament type. Kids of this temperament type, the highly persistent, are more prone to throwing these manipulative tantrums and will take longer to rid them of this behavior, so it's important to stay very consistent with those. And this is also where that art versus science comes in, right? There's the two types of tantrums, and they're not always easy to tell apart. So once you get to know your own kids a little bit, you figure out what's going on with them, then you can figure out if it's manipulative or a true tantrum. So with Taylor, once I started ignoring her, the first time I did that, and she flew back and hit her head, and then I ignored her, the next time she did it in a very deliberate way. So I figured out very quickly that it, in fact, was a manipulative type tantrum and how to work with that. So, if this is something you're struggling with, either pure tantrums or some manipulative tantrums, or not sure which is which, you can see the tantrums class on the website at YourVillageOnline.com. If you want to know more about temperament, I also have a class for that. And I also did a podcast episode, so you can go back and listen to episode number nine Your Child's Unique Temperament. Now, if you have questions about tantrums in your house, please feel free to send those in to me to podcast at YourVillageOnline.com, and I'll be happy to answer your questions about tantrums, or anything else, of course. So now, let's talk about this push for independence, what it means, what it looks like, and some tips for dealing with it to allow your toddler to explore their autonomy while also setting appropriate and safe boundaries. If you listened to last week's episode, you probably remember me talking about these two times in life when kids have really big pushes for independence, toddlerhood and adolescence. Now, many of you have probably heard of and even used the term three-nager. There's a reason that term has come to be because toddlers are a lot like tiny teenagers. They want their autonomy. They want to be independent. So it's a good thing and can be very positive as we want our kids to learn skills and grow and want to do things for themselves. But it can also drive us nuts when it butts up against our goals and needs for things to do as a family or that day. Now there are pros and cons between dealing with a toddler and a teenager. Toddlers have less emotional development and so therefore have a lot less reasoning ability. Although sometimes this can be questionable in some situations with teens, but because teens have such a huge hormonal and brain changes, they can be pretty unreasonable themselves at times. But let's talk about toddlers. Toddlerhood is great practice for dealing with teens. The thing about toddlers is that they are smaller and therefore you can't actually physically manipulate them. You can't do that with a teen, so you need to get those really good skills down now. And I don't mean with any physical punishment, but simply by picking them up and moving them when the rubber hits the road. Can't do that with a teen. So these toddler years and all these years leading up are the times to get lots of practice with using other methods like coaching and other strong communication skills setting that foundation modeling and teaching respectful communication and boundaries and I don't want to scare any parents of toddlers out there as I know toddlerhood can feel pretty overwhelming but I offer this hopefully as a way to help reframe a struggle with a difficult toddler that when your toddler is completely ignoring you and climbing on the table or not leaving the park that if you get these skills down well now and set this solid foundation that the teen years will be smoother. Not easy, not perfect, but smoother. So let's start with the first tip and almost every parent has heard this one before, but this one is choices. Toddlers love choices. Basically, don't start or do anything without first giving your toddler a choice if possible. Offer choices all day long. Wake up to bedtime. Choices give your toddlers the feel of control and autonomy, but within the boundaries you set. Then he or she is much less likely to push back and butt up against you when you really need him or her to just go along with the plan at that time. So, things like cereal or toast, apple or banana, beside sissy or mama, get dressed in your room or in the bathroom, put your shoes on now or in five minutes, sneakers or sandals, apples or carrots for snack, Spanish songs or train songs in the car, on and on and on. For toddlers, you always want to keep the choices to two. Otherwise it can become too overwhelming. Now there are some what we call little genius tactics that go with choices. So if you find your child is pushing back on the choices or trying to get around them, over them, under them, and they will try eventually, I cover these ways that kids will try to get around them and how to handle those situations in the choices class on the website at your Village online.com, it's under the discipline section. I also cover ways to use choices differently as kids age, because you can use choices all the way up through age nine. So my next tip on working with toddlers is called positive directions. This is stating all of your requests or directions in the positive. Let's say you're out at the park and it's kind of muddy and your child is holding a little toy. So instead of saying, don't put the toy in the mud, say, please hold on to your toy or please put your toy down beside me. State it in the positive because little kids, language is just coming on board. And so when we state things in a negative, they have to take what we said and then turn it around 180 degrees. And that sometimes can be really difficult for kids when they're just learning language and so they a lot of times will do exactly what we told them not to do not out of defiance but because that's what they understood so when we say don't put the toy in the mud they hear toy in the mud and they put it down so things like your kids jumping on the couch and you don't want them to please sit down on the couch couches are for sitting or you may jump on the floor or you may jump outside all of this in the positive if you say stop jumping on the couch don't jump on the couch couches are not for jumping they hear couch and jumping and they might lose some of that stuff in the middle so we want to state everything that we can in the positive and sometimes this can take some practice so if there's particular incidences in your home where you're finding or in your day that you're finding are repeated and you realize that you're stating a lot of things in the negative then take those situations and try to find a couple of ways to state it in the positive. So write it out and then write out how you can say it in the positive. So also on our website, in the discipline section, Discipline Tools for Toddlers, or just on its own, Focus on the Positive, I have this, Positive Directions, and several other positive tools to use for toddlers, or for anyone really. There are some worksheets in those classes as well that you can print out so you can use the worksheets to get some practice before you come up against the situation again. Coming up is my third tool for gaining cooperation from a toddler. It was one of my favorites and super easy to use. Then I share my parenting struggle I had just this past weekend and what I learned about myself and my oldest son. After a word from our sponsor. Hey, Parenting Beyond Discipline listeners. in 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, dander, and gases from the room. Puro Air uses a stronger filter called a HEPA-14 that filters pollutants at a microscopic level and is backed by scientists from Harvard and MIT. In laboratory studies, users saw noticeably cleaner air in just Thirty minutes. When it comes to babies and children, there's nothing worse than dealing with a cranky baby or child who can't sleep because of congestion. Air purifiers can help reduce congestion and improve immune system function to fight those winter colds and flus. I use my Pure air purifiers to clean the air in my home, especially in our bedrooms while we sleep. It has a quiet, relaxing hum and cleans the air from pet dander, allergens, viruses, dust, mold, odors, and contaminants. It has four levels, low, medium, high, and sleep, and four different timer options so you can customize it to your home and your needs. Check out PuroAir Air at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. Puro Air is the only air filter that uses a HIPAA 14 filter. That's getpuroair.com. Now, the third tool for gaining cooperation from a toddler. My third and last tip for this episode on working with toddlers and helping deal with this pushback is one, two, three magic. And a lot of parents have heard of this as well and are probably using it. There are some what we call pitfalls to this one, which means there's some ways that parents use it that actually make it ineffective or not work as well as it should. So I'm going to go through the steps of this really clearly and carefully so that you can make sure that you have this tool down really well. Now I also need to mention that some child development experts don't like this one. And after I cover a little bit about it, I'll talk about why some don't like it, why I think it's okay to use, and when I think it's good to phase it out in preference of other tools. And then you can decide whether you think it's the right one for your family or not. So 123 Magic was initially a behavior modification technique used to start or stop a particular behavior. It was introduced in a book where the author recommends a timeout as the consequence. But if you've taken any of the discipline classes on our site or heard enough episodes, you know I don't recommend timeouts as a consequence. So I will discuss different ways of using it rather than with the timeout. Now, when used in the ways I will discuss, it becomes more of a positive discipline tool that is especially great for little ones because it is easy and effective. It's very versatile and it helps in setting boundaries before this age of reason sets in. It's perfect for little ones, 12 months, even a little bit younger if needed, maybe around 10 or 11 months if you're getting some pushback, through around three to three and a half. Now, around two and a half. As your child's comprehension and reasoning skills are increasing, I recommend slowly transitioning to other positive discipline techniques that are covered in the discipline series on the website. And then try to filter this out completely by around five years old. So the reason some child development experts don't like this tool is that as you will see, it goes right to the consequences. And I've talked about in other podcast episodes, when I've answered parents' questions, and on the website, I talk about consequences as a last resort. They really should be a last resort. We want to use the other positive methods first as much as possible, things like choices, things like positive reinforcement. We want to use those first before we go to consequences, and this tool doesn't really do that. In this same vein, the reason that some child development experts don't like this one and the same reason I say to use consequences as a last resort is because it doesn't give children an opportunity to make a choice, to think about their behavior and try to change their choice to something better in that moment. Consequences only work for the next time. So we set a consequence, we follow through on it, we're changing it for the next time, we're not changing it this time because they've already passed that line. So one, two, three, magic, is when they've passed that line now i believe that because toddlers just they're just not always reasonable (laughs) as a matter of fact they're not reasonable a lot and so sometimes you know when the rubber hits the road we just need something that we can just use that's effective and that we can move on with our day we just have to do it sometimes we have to put our foot down and this is a great tool for doing that when we have to get out the door for school and the choices aren't working and the positive reinforcement isn't working One, two, three magic, we need to get our shoes on now, we need to go. And then I say to filter it out because by the time kids get to be four and five, they have other ways of making these choices besides this one, two, three, and kind of pushing them with that boundary. And then all those other tools are covered in the discipline classes on the site. So while I say that you want to start phasing this out around two and a half to three, three and a half, if you're just getting started using some discipline and your child is three or four or even five, and you feel like this is a good one for you to begin using because it's super easy, the steps are very clear and gives you good practice using some discipline, then by all means, add this to your repertoire. It's easy. It gives parents good practice at setting boundaries and following through, and it teaches your kids that you mean what you say. It's a good, solid, first-discipline tool. Now, In our house, we use this starting very early, around 12 to 14 months. I remember using it a lot when my younger son would climb up onto the dining room table. I loved it and it was very effective. It didn't take long before my children understood how it worked and started complying on their own pretty quickly. We did phase it out almost completely by three to three and a half, but we did still bring it back occasionally up through age up to about age five, when the kids were just completely ignoring the requests. So let's talk about these steps. Now these steps are available in a handout on our website in the discipline classes. So if you wanna have these handouts and print them out, you'll need to go to the website for the class on, and you can look at the class under one, two, three magic, or it's also under the discipline tools for toddlers class which are all available on the website at yourvillageonline.com. Step one is tell the child to stop or start the behavior that you want to stop or start. Step two is lay down the consequence to follow if the child does not comply. Now there are three types of consequences which I cover in the consequences workshop. For one, two, three magic, you want to use a logical negative consequence. Logical means it's related to what they're doing, the infraction, and negative meaning, obviously, it's not something they want to happen. Step three, you're going to count to three slowly, leaving three seconds between each count, and begin moving slowly toward your child during the count for whatever it is the consequence. If it's they're going to lose a toy, start walking towards the toy to get it. If they're on the table, you're going to start walking towards them to take them off the table. If it's that they're not coming back to the table to finish their dinner, you're gonna start walking towards the table to take the plate off the table. Now this is one of the areas where parents mess up. Instead of counting slowly, they count too quickly and go one, two, three. They don't give the child enough time to think. We need to give our kids time to think about. So this gives them a little bit of time to decide. Do I want to finish my dinner? Do I want to come back to the table and sit down like I've been requested? Do I want to climb down off the table by myself? Give them some time to think about it rather than rushing in there one, two, three, and then it's too late and we're whipping them off the table. Now, if when you get to three, follow through on the consequence you gave in step two, and as you are following through, give a brief explanation. So I'm going to go over an example of stopping a behavior and starting a behavior. So let's assume a toddler 18 months to two years is climbing up the chairs and onto the dining room table. We had this a lot. Since it could be dangerous, we want to discipline because we don't want our child falling off the table. So one, two, three magic is perfect for this. So step one, give the request. I need you to get off the table, please. Then give the consequence. Step two, you need to get down off the table. And this is important. By the time I count to three or I will take you off. Count slowly, again leaving 3 to 5 seconds, and moving during the count. So like this, one, two, three. then follow through. Give a brief explanation. Climbing on the table is dangerous. You might get hurt. Most of the time a child this age will not comply for the first several times, but soon they will scramble down as soon as you start counting. This is because of their budding autonomy. They want to do things for themselves. As soon as they learn that you will follow through and you are going to do it, they will comply as soon as the counting starts, if not before. Now you can use this same method to get your child started in a behavior. So let's say you want your child to get their shoes on and you've tried the choices sandals or sneakers and they're pushing back and they're running around. Then you start the one, two, three. I need you to put your shoes on by the time I count to three. Or I will have to put them on for you and then you go through the process counting and giving an explanation we need to get to the park so this is why we need to get our shoes on so now for our experience this weekend as I've shared many times our kids are swimmers and this weekend they had a swim meet as I've also shared our oldest best stroke is backstroke Now, just for reference, he's currently seven and he holds his team records in the 25, 50 and 100 backstroke for boys seven to eight. But this weekend, literally right before his backstroke race was about to start, he informs me that he doesn't like the backstroke. I'm completely baffled. I'm taken aback. What? This was totally news to me we have like two minutes to get him over and lined up for his event and I'm trying to figure out why so I'm asking and I wasn't really getting anything out of him he just said he doesn't like it well he signed up for this race it's coming up in like five minutes we need to get go get lined up and get him signed in so he has no choice at this point he made this commitment he's got to follow through so he goes over he gets started he does this beautiful start he flies down the lane with this Beautiful, smooth backstroke, you know, right in the front leading the way, way better than my backstroke. He gets to the wall and his flip turn is all wonky. My husband and I look at each other and we're like, what was that? What happened? And then his stroke just fell apart. He slowed way down. He's zigzagging all over. He's like in fourth, I don't place at this point. He comes into the finish in like slow motion. He's like slow as molasses, barely moving his arms. Comes in, he's like five seconds slower than his fastest time. When he should have dropped some time and I was so frustrated. I was so frustrated and to be honest, I was disappointed in his performance. But I also felt like it wasn't appropriate for me to share that disappointment with him. Definitely not at his age and definitely not about swimming. If he makes a really bad choice as a teen and gets himself into big trouble at school or with the law, yes, I'll be sharing my disappointment about his choices. But at seven, over swimming? No way. That's my disappointment to own. But what it taught me was that I had too much invested in his performance. I was becoming one of those over-invested sports parents that I talked about in the episode on kids and competition. This is my own competitiveness coming through and the truth is that he has more talent for swimming at the young age of seven than I've probably ever had in any sport in my entire life. I wish I had the talent that he has at swimming for any sport, swimming, running, whatever, but I have to work extremely hard to make small increments in progress. So I was putting my desires onto him and that's not fair. Now, if he had felt any disappointment over his performance, then I can help him with that. I can help him work through those feelings and help him come up with a game plan for what he could do differently next time. So there I was dealing with all of my own emotions and conflicts about how to approach him without saying, great job, but not coming down too hard and letting my disappointment show through in my words or tone. Like I mentioned, I do feel like my frustration and disappointment did come through more than it should have and more than I would have liked. So from now on, I'm going to work on going in with no expectations and remembering that this really needs to be about him loving the sport of swimming and having fun and him learning to self-evaluate and decide how he feels about his own performance. However, I also would not be doing my job if I didn't figure out what was going on with him telling me he doesn't like backstroke and then having a bad performance. So I knew I needed to help him address it and move beyond it because he would be missing out on a huge opportunity if he just decided to drop backstroke and not do it and I let him do that. I don't mean just an opportunity to race well, but a life lesson about facing up to something and fixing it, whatever it is, a fight with a friend, a struggle over a chemistry concept or a hard math problem rather than just ignoring it. These things will come up in life again and again. So this is an opportunity to face that, learn to face our struggles, our fears, our challenges, and move beyond it. For anyone else out there who is athletic or has engaged in athletic endeavors in the past, you know we all have bad days. You hope those bad days aren't on a game day or a race day, but they happen. You also know that most of the time it's mental, not physical. As an athlete, you face that, learn from it, and make a plan so that you can avoid that same issue the next time. What I was able to find out was that he has hit his head on the wall a few times during practice, and he moves fast, so he would hit kind of hard, and it hurts. He was worried about that, and that was the reason he wasn't liking the backstroke anymore. That's the reason the flip turn was messed up, and after that, the whole thing fell apart. We talked about counting the strokes when he goes under the flags, but he also said it isn't always consistent. So we also have a great coach who I got a couple of private lessons with to help Carter out with that. Counting his strokes under the flags and timing that flip turn. It takes a lot of concentration to focus on all these little details and aspects of his swimming every time. So we're working on this. And with each successful practice of backstroke and with his next successful race, He will build more and more confidence in his ability to face that challenge and challenges in general and overcome them. Now, if you have a parenting question you'd like answered about toddlers, about one, two, three magic, about tantrums, about anything I shared today or anything at all in general, you can send an email to podcast at yourvillageonline.com. Thanks for listening and see you next time.